The Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, Episode 45. Hey guys, save the date. Friday evening, July 26th, cannabis educator Amanda Hughes-Munson is joining us in Lufkin, Texas for Cannabis Conversations. We'll release further details as we get them on the event, but go ahead and pencil that date on your calendar. You won't want to miss Cannabis Conversations, Friday, July 26th in Lufkin, Texas. You're listening to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast, where we explore the real stories of real people who have discovered the profound healing properties of the cannabis plant in their own lives. Find more at CannabisHealsMe.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. This is your host, Rachel Kennerly, and we're coming to you once again from the Storybook in Studios. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I'm recording this on Friday, June 14th, so I haven't technically had my weekend yet, but my son is in Summer Swim League here in town, and it's his first swim meet, so he's a little nervous, and I'm a little nervous, and not really sure what to expect, so I guess uh, come Monday, or actually come Saturday afternoon, I'll know whether or not we like swim meets, and I hope we like them because we still have three more of them before this Summer Swim League is over. Anyway, hopefully y'all have already had your weekend and that it was a good weekend. The weather here in Texas has been, or, or at least where I'm at in Texas this week, has been amazing. It's only it's only been in the 80s, and humidity is pretty low, which for June is almost unheard of. So that is your weekly weather report from Lufkin, Texas. Thank you so much, everyone who has listened to the show from the very beginning. Thanks to everyone who's just come on and started listening to the show now. We appreciate all you old timers that put up with the terrible audio quality. And I know it's not perfect now, but it is a far cry better from where it was when we first started. So thanks to everyone who put up with the audio quality, because I think even though the qual- the audio quality wasn't good, the message was still good. So thanks to those of you who believed in the message enough to listen past the audio and hear the stories. Thank you to those of you who are just joining us, who are new listeners. Like I've mentioned over the past several weeks, our audience has continued to grow. We've gotten some positive feedback from sources outside of our little ring here in Lufkin, Texas and that's helping us grow the podcast so we're getting more and more listeners and so thanks to you those of you who are joining us and if you're joining us for the first time we hope you will enjoy what you hear today i've been encouraging you guys over the past several episodes to go out and give us a rating or a review on the podcast catcher that you're using and I really only know Apple Podcasts, so I don't know if there's a rating system on all the other podcast catchers. I'm assuming there are, but I don't know that for sure. But what happens is when you rate us or review us on those apps, it affects the algorithm somehow, and it'll actually start recommending our show to people who've never heard of me, which there's about five zillion of them, and people that maybe they don't even have much interest in cannabis, but it'll recommend our show to people. So if you haven't done so already, give us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast app. And as I've been promising the past few episodes, if you leave us a review, I will read your review on the air. And we actually had our first taker on that offer last week. We got a five-star rating. Wonderful show. This podcast is great. Rachel interviews real people who have addressed health concerns by using cannabis and improved their lives. She also takes a look at the injustice people face because of the war on drugs. Very informative and important topic for a podcast. So thanks to Ray Aboy for giving us that positive feedback, that rating. And if you've not done so already, go out and give us a review and I'll read yours on the air too. Now, if you, for some reason, don't want me to read your review on the air, send me an email and let me know, hey, don't read that and I won't do it. Also, if you're using a platform other than Apple Podcasts to listen to the show and you leave us a review on that podcast, let me know because this podcast is out on several different platforms and I don't even know all the platforms that it's on or how to check the rating and review system on there. So if you give us a review on another platform, let me know what platform that is. I'll go out and read it and then read your review on the air. Now, another thing that you can do to help us spread the word about the podcast is tell three people about the show. We've been doing this tell three people challenge for several, uh, probably a month or so now. And what we ask people to do, if you're new to the show, and if you aren't new, then please bear with me for the next 20 seconds. If you're new to the show, then what we ask you to do 
is that you tell three people every week about the podcast. And you don't have to tell them after each show comes out, but if you'll just tell three people each week about the podcast, your mechanic, your bank teller, your fellow soccer mom, your fellow swim mom, whoever it is, tell three people about the podcast and maybe tell them about a particular episode that struck a chord with you that really resonated and that you think will speak to other people. If they're parents, you might want to share one of the stories that we've had other parents come on the podcast and talk about. So just share the the episode with three people. And if you're feeling really plucky, then let one of those people you share the episode with be someone who still believes in cannabis prohibition or is kind of sitting on the fence because what we really want to do with our podcast we don't want to just talk to people who already agree with us what we want to do with our podcast is reach people who used to be prohibitionists like me and we want to make them start thinking oh maybe this isn't just about getting high maybe there are medicinal benefits maybe the government shouldn't be telling us what we can and can't put into our body so tell three people about the podcast Our guest on today's show is Joshua Raines. He is a Purple Heart veteran who spent several years over in the Middle East fighting in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And while he was over there, he suffered a traumatic brain injury, which has resulted in him having seizure activity. And then also he he suffers, as many of our our men and women who spend time overseas in those firefights he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder and so he's uh he's also very active down in austin he is an outspoken vocal advocate of cannabis legalization and cannabis as medicine now that the session is over we were excited to get him on the show to talk to us about his medical condition and then also a little bit about his political activity so without further delay here's josh I think I saw an interview that you had done on on a local news station just talking about how cannabis has helped your, is it PTSD? And seizures, yes. Okay, okay. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and what, if you're comfortable sharing what your medical condition is and how cannabis has has changed that. Sure. Um, I was in the Army uh, for about five years of my life. And when I went to Afghanistan in 2010 and 2011, I went through a, a uh, IED blast, which was a direct hit to my vehicle. And I came back down from the top of the turret, you know, from the blast, and I hit my head on the side of a big metal box called the Duke system, which jams radio signals for the uh, for IEDs, but it, you know, it doesn't really work for pressure plates. So um, anyway, uh, I had uh, blackouts out there, but they kept saying that it was because of the exhaustion. They didn't attribute it to my TBI. That didn't get done until I started having seizures when I got back home. And okay, so I went through me, everything normal. Let me yeah. let me go back. So you had this IED blast, and you basically your full body weight and probably whatever gear you had on landed on your head. And all they said, well, you know, it's, it's not a concussion. It's not a brain injury. It's... Uh, it, you're just tired. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, they, they had, uh, we, we, we were running out of people to be on mission and you, you don't want to be a company that's not effective anymore because you know, that, that, that really dictates, you know, what you get to go into and what your commander gets to choose to go into as far as the deployment, you know? And so, uh, we needed the bodies. And so I had to keep going on mission. And so they told me, you know, whatever, whatever they needed to tell me to be able to keep me out there. And then what were, I mean, do you think some of the long-term consequences of their not acknowledging that you had a brain injury could have led to some of these other issues that you had? I mean, I know nobody has a crystal ball, but maybe if the issue had been addressed while you were there, instead of them just kind of sweeping it under the rug, do you think maybe some of your, your seizure activity wouldn't have been as bad? No, without a doubt, because I went through that one direct hit, but that wasn't my only IED. I mean, I went through countless uh, that were within a car length away from me because, you know, people would blow up near us. We would, uh, other vehicles would hit bombs right, right next to us. They would throw grenades, rocket us, things of that sort. So, you know, I mean, absolutely, it definitely attributed me going out there, but that was also me being hard-headed. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I'm the one that kept going out there. You know, there was there was a ride home for me. If I so wanted one, but it was my, I extended the year. And so it was my last year in the army and my, my best friends are out there. So I, right. I couldn't go back. Right. Well, I can understand that. You don't want to feel like you're letting down your, your brothers in arms. So. Right. 
And so I had all my limbs, you know, and at that point I wasn't having seizures, so I was still, I was still useful. So you get, so it wasn't until you got back to the States when you started experiencing seizures? Yep. And how long were you home before the seizure activity started? A few weeks, maybe. And then you hadn't had any seizure activity while you were still overseas? No, no, other than, you know, passing out at random times. But, I mean, there were a lot of us doing that, so I wasn't out of the ordinary. I mean, is that typical for a, a traumatic brain injury? And, to, and how long was it before, when, between the time that you had this this direct hit IED and you started having the seizures? Oh, uh, well, I had that direct hit was middle of my deployment. And I would say probably five, four or five months. Okay. Pretty good, probably pretty accurate. Okay. And so is that normal? Have you talked to other people that have been through similar experiences where they have a traumatic brain injury, but don't start experiencing seizures until several months down the road? Uh, yeah, it's fairly normal. Uh, but you got like, I'm I'm the only one out of my company. No, that's not true. So there is another person in my company that is having these, but we're the only two out of our company, but we have met a lot of people that uh, go, have gone through a TBI and have very similar, similar stuff. So. Is that pretty common for guys coming back from, from overseas to have had traumatic brain injury? And, and I'm assuming concussions as well, because if you're getting rocked all over the place. It, it just depends on what their job was. Yeah to be honest with you like if they were going on missions and going outside the wire you know yes that's pretty par for the course i mean you're gonna have a concussion yeah so what was the va's response when you started having seizures uh at first uh, i was put on a two-year waiting list that imaginary one that was all over the news for a while for yeah. a vet for dying yeah, I was on that list, and uh, my primary care doctor kept telling me it wasn't his problem or job to get me a neurology appointment. And oh, wow. I, at that point, I had, I had I was on no seizure medicine, and I had no idea. I wasn't even on cannabis. You know, I was just I was just really messed up at that point. And so, um, yeah, it, it was that was a crazy time period. So, was that were you having like grand mal seizures or absence seizures? What type of seizure act, or did you have all of them? Colonic tonic. Okay, and that's it's now chronic, chronic. Yeah, and chronic, that's chronic, so. Tell me, uh, tell me what that is like a tonic clonic seizure. Um, I mean, it, it, a lot of pain. I shake a lot. Um, I, I have a, I it really wipes me out for the day. I suppose I, I don't know what goes on during the seizure. Like that's, but um, now it, like it, it hurts a great deal. And so for, I, and so after you after you started having these seizures, you go to the VA and they put you on a waiting list, and then and in the interim they give you nothing for the seizures, right? My primary care doctor was giving me Dilantin, but he was over prescribed overdosing me with it because he he recommended I take up to eight pills at a time. It was eight hundred milligrams of Dilantin. Wow! And um, yeah, like it it was really messing me up. And when I finally did get to see the neurologist, they were absolutely shocked and blown away and immediately reduced that to about three to 400 milligrams. Oh, wow. So how long was it before, from the time you went to see your VA doctor and you actually got in to see the neurologist? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming if you're still having seizures, you can't drive or, I mean, that probably affects nope. your ability to work as well. I'm I'm a hundred percent disabled because every every job, including Waterburger, wouldn't take me because of my seizures. And I not even kidding. I applied for a manager at Waterburger, and he's all like, "Well, what if you uh, fall into the fry grease? You know, then the company would be liable." Wow. I'm not, yeah. And so I was just like, I, I was at a kind of a breaking point, so I, I couldn't support my family at that point. Yeah. Before my disability, so I just put in for all of that. Wow. My wife has lost employment because of my seizures and taking me to the hospital. So it's it's been a up and down roller coaster. Yeah. So you you wait two and a half years to get in to see a neuro. That's that is insane to me. 
because it, it was if, awful. Because if I had a seizure, I would go see my primary care physician. They'd refer me to a neurologist, and I'd probably be in to see the neurologist within a week or two. And you had Absolutely. to wait for two and a half years. That is, that's inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. Gosh. Um. So, and, and then in the meantime, you've got, you're 100% disabled. You can't work at all. Your wife is losing her employment because she's having to take care of you when you're having seizures and take it. How many trips did you make to the hospital after your seizures? Just ballpark. I couldn't count them. I don't know. Yeah. Because there, there's times even that I don't even remember us going to the hospital. Like I've, I've been told the next morning where I find my, my wrist bracelet on. Uh-huh. Because uh, a lot of the times the next morning, you know, Maggie would have to go to work. And so I would, I would just wake up all alone and <laughs> sometimes I wouldn't even know what happened. Gosh, that's got to be very scary and unnerving to just wake up and not remember how you got where you got. Pretty much. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've become pretty used to it. So like I know when I've had a seizure, like I can tell with the way I feel the next morning. And so I, I would know if it was pretty bad. And if uh, at the hospital, I get uh, like I get really good medication for it that pretty mellows me out for like three days. And so, um, but they, they don't allow that outside the hospital. So, so what type of meds when you're in the hospital after you've had a seizure? What kind of medicine are they giving you? It, it's something. It's like Cerebrix or something of that sort. Cerebrics, yeah, it's it's like liquid dilantin, but it's directly in my bloodstream, and yeah, like that will that will take away any kind of head pressure thing pretty much for like a few days. Yeah. And and when you were having the seizures, did you have any kind of were there any either triggers or were there anything was there anything that that made you think to yourself, okay, I'm about to have a seizure, I need to go get some safe get to some safe place, or did was it just boom on top of you before you knew it? Storm fronts really get me. Like I can feel the head pressure coming in. Uh, uh, stress can really build it up. Like I can start feeling head pressure from that. Being out in the heat for long periods of time can get me. Yeah, so it, it's a pain. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I, I can't even fathom, honestly. So, so you get to see the neurologist two and a half years later, and then what? I mean, they cut your dilantin in half, and then what else? What are their other? What else do they do for you at the neurologist? They put me through a few EUGs, so they were able to pinpoint the damaged side of my head, which is my left temporal lobe. And is and, that where uh, you where you landed after yeah, your the that's where IED? I landed on my head? Okay, yeah. And that's pretty much when uh, when I told them that I hit my head on that big metal box, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what they 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 told me. Like you came down with all your weight on that. Like that that's where you're that's where that damage is and that's where it's coming from. Yeah. And then did they put you on some other medications for your seizures or just, was the dilantin? Uh, I've I've done I've tried several. Dilantin seems to have worked better. You know, Keppra, you have a lot of mood swings and stuff and you get angry. And so a person with PTSD definitely doesn't want to take something that the side effect is anger. So Yeah, exactly. You know, and I've gone back and forth. Uh, hell, I mean, even even my neurologist has taken me off completely of seizure medication and put me on like blood pressure medication for a minute, but that really didn't work out at all. Really, medicine, yeah. But uh, I I finally got to use the Veterans Choice program and go through a civilian neurologist who has me on a good amount of Dilantin now, and uh, actually I've been doing a lot better since I've been seeing him. Now, is the Veterans Choice program is that? new since the big you know brouhaha over the the fake waiting list or is that something that's always been a place they just didn't tell you about well that's, no no that's very new they actually the uh, waiting list is what spawned this to be honest with you and the current administration is the one that really put it through and are trying to both look at what they're doing with it and seeing how they can fix it you know from any complaints that we're having now yeah but uh, some veterans don't like it and I'm not sure why because honestly like I think it's fantastic you know uh, because the VA their biggest problem is that they're overbooked and overworked you know when it when it's free health care like they you just you don't have enough personnel you don't have a personnel that really cares yeah and um, 
So being able to pass the torch on to actual professionals who deal with, you know, regular civilians every day is much better and a much better environment than, you know, going to the VA where you're dealing with the worst of the worst medical professionals. And this has nothing to do with cannabis, but I'm just curious because I don't have any experience with the the VA. And so what is your, what's the difference? Like, what would you say is the biggest difference between working with a physician who works, let's say the, the, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but say you're working with the neurologist that works for the VA versus the neurologist that works in a private practice. What's the difference between those two physicians? A private practice will actually hear the patient and they'll listen to them a lot more. They'll, uh, they treat them as a human being, I guess is the biggest difference. When you're in the VA, like my neurologist that I even, like my best neurologist in the VA, uh, was just, I just left him to go to the Specialist Choice Program, but he would constantly, you know, he would only talk to me, you know, in like very robotic form. I was not a human to him. Like, uh, he would cut me off. He would cut me off all the time when I would try to, you know, explain some of my other symptoms. He would literally just write it off what I'm saying. Sometimes he would ignore me, you know, and just be like, oh, uh, no, I wouldn't worry about that. You know, I'm just like, wow. is, I'm telling you what's going on. I'm telling you what's bringing them on. And, you, you know, it's just it didn't seem like I was taken very serious by any means. And I went through like maybe five, six different neurologists in the VA. And it was just, it was just crazy. Like I just got passed around. No, uh, there, there was. I went, I had a, uh, an elderly lady who retired, I believe, or got moved to a different one. And I had two, um, Indian neurologists, then Dr. Hertz, that's four, I had four all together. I'm on my fifth. Do you think it's because they just have so many patients and they're trying to just herd y'all through as quickly as they can so that they can see more guys? Or do you think it's just a function of being a government employee? No, it's a, uh, the fact that it's a numbers game. Yeah. Like, instead of being, instead, like, they don't come under review and stuff if they've seen a lot of patients because right now the problem is, according to the news stations, is veterans aren't being seen, you know, and not very much is talked about the quality of care that's being going on. And so that's really what the problem is and why veterans aren't being seen because of the quality and they don't go. Like, they don't show up because of how they're treated. And, um, that's that's very unfortunate, but it's a numbers game. So if they're able to see a, like a high number of patients, according to the government, that's good. You know, they're they're doing their job, and so they don't get messed with. They're able to give out bonuses and everything else with the money that c- comes trickling down from Uncle Sam. So the focus is more on let's get you through the number. You know, as long as we can see a bunch of people, it doesn't matter whether we right. really help you or not, as long as we see a lot of people. Whereas in a private practice, I mean, they've got, they take their time with you and, and really kind of try to get to the root of the problem and hear you as to what the root of the problem is. It's very fascinating as a, as someone who's pretty liber, liberty-minded, I like to kind of hear the, uh, the failings of the federal government. <laughs> <laughs> not really like to it. I guess, I guess maybe it's more confirmation bias because it confirms what I already thought, but you know, I, I think yeah, it's more worth... people really, more people need to know. Like it, it, it is bad. It's just, it's just really bad. When you have vets killing themselves in the parking lots of VAs, you know, like it, it it's that bad. Yeah. It's just a final F you to the system. Well, it is. And that's exactly it. What you just said right there is, is the cold, hard truth. Mm-hmm. Like there is never a truer statement. It is the last F you to the system because those are the people that have reached out and tried this entire time to do things the right way. And because, and they could have, they could have helped themselves. Like their, cannabis is an amazing, amazing plant to do, help all of our vets. I promise you that, but they want to do it the right way. Cannabis is federally illegal. It's their absolute choice to not, you know, throw their name through the mud like that, especially what they've been through. And so a lot of them feel lost. Right. And in the military, the military culture overall, I mean, you know, drugs, even cannabis, they're, I mean, they're, they're bad. You don't do them or you lose your job and you get kicked out of the arm, you know, out of the military. Uh, uh, I wouldn't be so, that, that's going off a lot of Hollywood. I'll give you an example. When I was deployed, I would do month long missions out in the open desert. 
you know, whether we were escorting convoys or I was doing quick relief force, which is rescuing convoys that are pinned down. And so we would be out probably a month at a time. Now, uh, to stay up for 19, 20 hours in a gun shift, I was prescribed Adderall. I don't have ADHD, but I was prescribed legal meth to be able to stay up for long periods of time to counteract wow. that so I could sleep at night so I wouldn't go into a state of psychosis. I was prescribed Ambien. So for the entire year, I was a junkie. I mean, seriously, like I had to have that to stay up in order to survive. And then I had to have my sleeping pills in order to go to sleep and winging myself off of that coming back home. That is, oof, that's rough. Yeah. What was that? What was that process like for you? Did you go cold turkey or were you, did you just kind of step off of it gradually? And, and how did you realize, okay, this isn't good for me. I got to get off this oh, I knew stuff. Right away, I knew right away it wasn't good for me, but I had to do it. Like It, it wasn't an order by any means, but uh, I, you have to keep up, especially when you're like, when people are going home and stuff and they like, you know, it's, it's, it gets crazy because you get stretched really thin and um, you're, everybody's body has a breaking point. Everybody's body has a breaking point. And so out there, they'll issue that stuff out like Skittles. It wow. is not hard to get. Now, back stateside, no, they have a major control over that because that's, you know, that's where all the TV cameras live. And so they don't want to see a whole bunch of cracked out soldiers. So by the time you get home stateside, you better be over that. So I was already winging myself off in Afghanistan because I already knew they weren't going to give any of that to me when I got back home. Do the guys that go home, do they kind of tell you, hey, you know, or is that something you just kind of know from having lived in? You just kind of know. Yeah. You just kind of know. Yeah. And then, you know, if they're, they're handing out Adderall and Ambien, like, you know, it's candy, what's the, what's the deal with like opioids and stuff? Is that the same thing when you're overseas or is that just something they pop on you when you get back? If it makes you mission ready, you can get it very, very easily. Like you don't even have to go through an exam. You go in there with a person that is at the equivalency education level of a doctor in uniform. And they spend the entire time on their laptop writing your prescription while you're telling them what's going on. They don't even check it half the time. Wow. So the guys overseas are on more prescription meds than the guys that are back here at the at home. hundred percent. Wow. And I've you never. You would be shocked. Yeah, I've never heard that before. You know, they always talk about what, what a horrible opioid epidemic we have for vets that come home. But nobody ever talks about what's <laughs> going on overseas. There. Well, that's the starting point of it. That would solve the problem. It's a problem that they don't want solved. It's a very lucrative problem. Well, and, and you, you're you asking these guys to perform Herculean tasks. And so you've got to give them something so that they're able to do those things. Well, on the subject of cannabis, is that is that something that how did you come around to that? I mean, what were your feelings about cannabis beforehand? Was it something that you kind of experimented with in high school or were you kind of a straight arrow and didn't touch the stuff? I smoked a lot of weed in high school. (laughs) (laughs) My, my opinion of it was I just, I knew, I knew what it did, you know, and I knew what it, what it was, but I didn't know the medical properties of it at all. And so I didn't really take it that serious when, you know, a lot of people were telling me, a lot of my vet friends are telling me, "Hey, man, I smoke a lot of weed now," and I'm like, "Oh, that's that's great." Good for <laughs> thanks you. For the advice. Yeah, and I was like, "Thanks for the advice, man." You know, I thought it was going to be a serious conversation. Well, when I started looking into it, and I went to a couple of conventions, and I met the Zartler family, and I saw what it did for Kara. And if there's ever a group that you know goes through a lot of the same stress issues and you know physical issues and you know worry about if their you know loved ones are gonna you know die eventually from their self-inflicting wounds it's autism keeps the crowd so i really connected with them really really a lot and that's what got me serious about it you know that wasn't even just smoking like i do smoke for my ptsd but it was more or less i like the i like the chemistry and the medical science behind the cbd and the cannabinoid system and it it really that opened my eyes to a, a whole new world well how long were you home before you started really really considering cannabis as an as an alternative way to treat your seizures and ptsd probably two and a half years 
like I gave up. Uh, I gave up on uh, real, really, realistically. I gave up when you know I was on that waiting list, and I decided I was going to try something else. You know, I I started seeing a neurologist when I was already heavily using CBD oil and cannabis, and I I, I was always honest with the VA. Always honest. I told him this is this is I, we're going to go through an experiment, <laughs> and I know that you can't. I know you can't condone it, but you're going to see it in real time. So, what was their response to you telling them, "Look, this is what I'm doing, and I don't care"? <laughs> uh, just what I said. They they can't condone it, but they recommend anything that's helping me to keep going, and that's basically where they're at. So, when you started taking cannabis, what was your experience for your medical condition with the seizures and the PTSD? And cannabis itself, uh, when I smoke it, allows me to actually go out in public, lets me be a dad and a husband. I mean, I was on the verge of losing my family because I was just, I was an asshole. Yeah. And I, I didn't, you know, and I, it's almost like being in a dream where you can see yourself screwing up all the time, but you can't do anything about it except yell at yourself. And, you, of course, your, your body in the dream can't hear you. That's exactly what it was like, and uh, and I, I was on different medications that would make me a zombie or make me an ass. And so when I started smoking cannabis, because I started smoking it before I took CBD, and honestly, that allowed me to be a family guy again, you know. And so <clears throat> it got to the point where I was having better and better days, and my wife was just like, "Josh, I don't think you need to stop." Because I was just like, "Yeah, okay, that was that was good, you know. Let's let's on to the next thing." And she's like, "If this worked, I really I really don't see why we should stop this." Yeah, you know, let's 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 try it a little bit further. So she got me some CBD oil, and that has taken me out of a seizure. Like oh, okay, like while I'm having one, and so we definitely after that happened incorporated that in my my daily regimen so the the cannabis is what you use the thc is what you use for your ptsd and then the mm -hmm. cbd oil has helped with your seizure related activity right thc is for my stress and for my pain but it really has it, i haven't seen any neurological benefits from thc and and you know other than you know for my tbi but the cbd is night and day different like that is it, it's clear and uh, right now, I went from so many different kind of medications at one time to just I'm on one, you know, oh, just wow. my Dilantin right now. And it's because of, you know, the CBD and exercise and cannabis. So without cannabis, you were either a zombie or a giant asshole. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and with cannabis and on the verge of losing your family and then with cannabis, you've able to reconnect with your family and not be a big fat jerk. Right. That's exactly what it is, and that's why I I have no shame in it anymore. Like I'm I'm pretty open about it. Yeah, because you know a lot of guys in your situation they don't want to admit that. Well, you know I've got this problem, and and the, and there is a lot of shame associated with it, which is which is sad, you know. But we put such a we stigmatize like mental health conditions more than we should. I mean, well. I, I look at it as uh, I have no shame for it because I'm picking my poison. Uh, where people will condemn me for it because, oh, you smoke weed, oh my gosh, you know, and just get all flustered over it. At the same time, they don't understand that every time they take one of their opioids, you know, they're taking almost pure heroin. And, you know, and like nobody thinks about that. When you give your kid an Adderall, you know, for their ADHD, you're giving that kid legal meth. It even says on the bottle, methamphetamine. So, you know, at that point, you know, I, I, I look at it as hypocritical. You know, if you give me hell for what I use to medicate with, and I, I'm not rubbing it in your face, you know, I'm not showing up at their house with my pipe, you know, and all like, what's going on, neighbor? You know, no. It's not recreational for me, you know. It actually really helped me. And so I don't look at it any different than most people look at their medicine cabinets. Now, you've been very outspoken about your cannabis use. I mean, I saw you on the news, and I've seen you mm -hmm. down in Austin as well, kind of sharing your testimony. Do you have any assurances from people in higher places that you're not going to be persecuted for this because of law enforcement or, you know, child protective services or anything like that? Not at all. Not at all. You just, you just uh, said, this works for me, and more people need to be able to use it. Well... 
I use the fact that I'm living in the state of Texas and I'm a Purple Heart recipient. Yeah. The problem with arresting me for cannabis use for saving my life, which is exactly what would come out in all the news, because I've been in the news in several news stations. I've been in, I've done a lot of testimony to a lot of places. So I've been advocating. So I'm pretty well known. If anybody would really come to me, you know, and arrest me for that, that's going to look extremely bad on that representative and lawmaker at that point. And nobody really wants to go through that. It's going to look bad on the sheriff's department. Nobody really wants to go through that. The majority of the police department are veterans themselves. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to want to do that. And so, no, I, like, I, I, I honestly use my Purple Heart as a shield right now because where I'm vocal about my use, I'm also vocal about why I use. And I'm very stern on that issue. And so I, I just don't think that anybody really wants to come for, you know, a combat wounded vet. Well, you would at least hope not. But, man, there's some real pieces of work. You know, just like those, the, uh, the guys in uh, Tarrant County that are arresting people over CBD oil. I mailed around 4,500 letters to the White House. of uh, My testimony and other people's testimony from the military and talking about medical cannabis needs to be a thing for us. And so uh, I've gotten seven replies back from them. One of them was from the Department of Health and Human Services. And they're really interested in our stories and talking about unscheduling the plant itself. Okay. So I may not be in a shady, dark, clouded area for much longer, to be honest with you. If it nationally gets unscheduled, people like Abbott and Cruz and everybody else have already said that that opens the door for a lot of decisions for them. A lot of decisions for them. Because the one thing that they've said that they do not want to do is, you know, mess with the federally uh, is cla- uh, scheduled one substance. Well, if we can get that done and taken care of with this administration, because right now, as of today, they're the only ones in office that are have been have outly spoken while he's on campaign being in favor of medical cannabis and for veterans using it. Mm-hmm. We need to get it done just for people like me, because there's a lot of people like me that aren't vocal about it. And yes, they will get arrested. The reason that I've been so vocal, the reason that I've been so open and vocal and online and doing everything I can to put my story and my name out there is because that also makes it a lot harder to mess with me. Like a news story for a veteran that was never heard of or never done anything, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's caught with weed. They can twist that and make it sound like, you know, he was selling it to kids on the playground, you know, seriously. And the police department could put it that way and it's too easy. However, you have the person that's been advocating for medical cannabis and veterans to be able to use medical cannabis and other conditions, and he gets arrested for it. There is no mystery of why he's a, he was, Hey, he had it. You know, there is no pinning me with selling it to kids on the playground. Mm -hmm. It's he was dealing with his seizures and his severe uh, anxiety and depression and you took him to jail for it. Because I know there's some people that have been vocal and outspoken on the autism side that now they're being persecuted by CPS. Have you have ever had any run-ins with them? No, but I'm not. They also are in the worst predicament of having to give their child it. Yeah. You know, and that that's that's where it's scary for them because that's where people really draw a line. You know, and so uh, that's where I feel for them the most because... Their kids need it hell more than I do. And a lot of them aren't able to get it because that's just too big of a risk. I mean, you could have a lifelong friend that would just completely disagree with this and put one anonymous call and go crazy. Whereas myself, you know, when I'm in public and I tell somebody, yeah, you know, I smoke for my conditions, you know, they're all like, well, absolutely. I understand why you do. You know, that's, that's typically what I get. Even with the people that are against it, that's typically what I get. I completely understand why you do. It's not, it's not as big of a thing as you guys think for me right now. Now, what about, you know, cause like I said, you've been very outspoken and very active down in Austin during legislative session. And then I know they have like the big sheriff's association went down there and had a powwow. Do any of those guys ever talk to you or do you try to talk to them and say, look, you know, this is medicinal? No, no, they, they won't talk to me. I made a video on all of their testimonies on my page, the Texas Cannabis Collective. And um, it, that was one of my, that was one of my big videos that kind of took off. It got almost 10,000 views within a couple of weeks. 
Wow. I didn't realize that was your page. That's awesome. I followed that one. Oh, yeah, that, that's me. I do all the uh, the media work and all those, uh, like, cinematic-looking videos, uh-huh. telling people to, you know, contact your legislator and stuff. Those are all mine. Yeah, those are great, man. I, I had no idea. That's yeah, cool. That's what I taught myself off YouTube last session so I could uh, be useful this session. And so I spent that two years learning how to do motion graphics and video editing Yeah. just for this. And so, yeah. I made a video about them and for them, you know, just showing the very, very, you know, reefer madness side yes. of things that they were talking about. And uh, they, when I went down there to testify uh, for the second time, they did not want to even uh, talk to me. I know the Ronnie Morris or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. He specifically turned around and didn't shake my hand. So, oh, no, wow. They're not fans. Yeah, and with any other veteran, they'd be tripping over themselves to go and shake their hand and thank you for your service. Well, it's funny because I was pulled over in Burleson when I was living there, and um, I I, I was a bonehead, and I had my stuff right in my cup holder, you know, because I was just going down the I was going down the road and coming right back, and uh, I didn't even think about it, and so they flashed their uh, flashlight down there, and they go, "What is that?" And I'm like, "You already know what it is." And he goes, you got a purple heart, huh? Because I have my plates in my car. And he, I'm like, yes, I have my plates in my car. And I'm like, yes, I am. And he goes, oh, well, I, I'm guessing I know what you use it for then. And I'm like, all right, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And so uh, I actually got to go. You know, they, they let me go. Yeah, and, and so it was, it was awfully nice. Yeah, I wouldn't have but, expected that from Burleson police. Um, if I wasn't who I was, that would have probably been an issue. So you say you're down to one medication, the Dilantin, and how many medications were you on total before you really found the combination of cannabis and CBD oil to, to help with your, your issues? I always say my testimony is 11. It may have been like eight, but it was it was quite a bit. And for your PTSD, what kind of medicines did they have you on for that? Uh, a bunch of antidepressants, anti-anxiety, blood pressure medications. It was awful. But they had me on those all the way back to my Iraq deployment right before my Afghanistan. So I got, I gladly left that. So most of the time that you were in the, in the military, were you overseas on deployment? Yeah, I spent 2008, 2009 in Iraq and 2010, 2011 in Afghanistan. I hate for y'all to go over there and they tell you you're there to protect our freedoms. And then when you come back home, they say, well, no, you can't use this plant. Well, they, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. And they're uh, now talking about, removing the second amendment right if you are on the registry to use this plant that's just to me that's asinine so the very freedoms that you're supposed to be protecting they're going to strip you of when you come back home right well they politicians trade freedoms like they're baseball cards well that's as long as it if you go against their agenda then that's a freedom that you don't need and most of these guys are bought and paid for by uh the pharmaceutical company I mean, hell, $97,000 was donated to a Dan Patrick's campaign fund. Yeah, I saw that. that. He's got to go. And I don't have a medical condition, but this is a very disappointing legislative session for me because it just looks so, with what 50-some-odd bills proposed, it really looked like maybe we might get some sort of relief in Texas. And then they, they had to make so many concessions before the bill even went to the Senate, and then Dan Patrick just bogeyed them. Shut it down. Yeah. And uh, apparently the vets were supposed to be on that bill that did go through uh, PTSD, but they exonated them off of it. Yeah, so so basically PTSD is not on there. I mean, it's still very limited on what you, you can't. It's not even cancer. It's got to be terminal cancer, right? Yeah, that was well addressed. And then even even some of the senators. Yeah, it, it, it's it's absolutely asinine. It it, it really is. The, the the chemo that they give cancer patients, you know, is literally killing them, L- literally killing them. And that's supposed to be helping them. But yet 0.05% THC is way too much for a person just with non-terminal cancer. Right. I mean, heaven it, forbid. Absolutely asinine. And that, that's exactly what we have here in, in the state of Texas. We really need to clean house. Like, I can't stress enough for people to vote. Even if it, like, means voting for somebody that you never thought you would vote for before. If you really want medical freedoms and you really want to be taken serious, then you need to find a candidate that's actually listening to the people. Right. Well, I was very disappointed in our local representative, Trent Ashby. 
he they got lots of calls to his office about House Bill. Um, oh, I guess it was which is the one for decrim? Was that that wasn't thirteen sixty five? Which one was no, that? that was House Bill sixty three. Yeah, so he got lots of calls about that about decrim for not not even decriminalization. It's just we're not going to throw you in jail for it. It's going to be a class C misdemeanor. And so he got lots of calls, people supporting the bill, and he ended up going with what law enforcement told him they wanted, as opposed to his constituents. So it's very, very disappointing, and I don't know what to do, honestly. I guess find somebody else to vote for the next time he's up for re-election. Yeah, we need to get him out and Senator Birdwell. Mm-hmm. Senator Birdwell uh, is the one that told veterans that they should be ashamed of themselves for using medical cannabis, and that they shouldn't use their service war wounds for a political stunt or something of that sort. Yet he used Chris Kyle's death as his political go-to saying that the reason Chris Kyle died was because the shooter was on marijuana. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, such I'm not garbage. Even, I'm not even kidding. It, it was absolutely disgraceful. Wow. And uh, he was one of the ones that made sure that veterans weren't on there. And that's a former Lieutenant Colonel. Do you think it's because he's a former Lieutenant Colonel and there's such a, a mindset in the military that you shouldn't use illegal drugs. I mean, prescription drugs, we can pop those like Pez, but absolutely not. The military is full of crooked leaders, just like any other organization or company. And so you have these people that get paid high amounts of money in their campaign runs and just while they're serving from pharmaceutical companies, from individual medicine companies, from doctors and everything else who have no interest in the legalization of cannabis because it will really hinder their business. Yeah. And so they explain that. They tell him the money won't stop because as long as you go along and play the game. And he, as a former lieutenant colonel, is just as like every other corrupt politician is bought and paid for. And the uh, veterans getting on it, he knows that there was a national survey done by Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates. Yeah. And he got with the American Legion and a lot of others and decided to do a national survey for United States veterans to see if they would rather take marijuana compared to the opioid prescriptions that they were given from the VA. 92% of them said that they were in favor of it. So wow. He has that statistic. He knows that the veterans would be a big – because the – pharmaceutical company makes money off of that makes money off of it that's why it's laughable when they're all like let's get vets off opioids well you're going to put out of business a lot of government entities and so um that that number scares people that are bought and paid for Mm -hmm. well you went you went from what eight or eleven prescriptions down to one right and so you multiply that times the number of veterans we have in this country? The state of Texas alone has 1.5 million. So, yeah, they would be hurting for money. And uh, that's the sad part. And that's where it draws people like him to come up there with that false statistic saying that 70% of the suicide veterans had THC in their system. No, I mean, even if that statistic was true, was uh, the same thing drawn out for the prescription meds they were given, the psychedelic right. medications they were given? Right. How many of those had opioids in their system? How many of them have right. antidepressants in their systems? How many of them have been drinking a heavy amount? So it, it's just, it's, that's how I know that we're winning this fight. It's just that we have to clean house. Yeah. We literally have to clean house and get these people out of there and get them out of a position of power. We did it to Pete Sessions. And we can do it to literally any of them. We came together for Pete because Pete was on a national level. Pete was the one that blocked the VA bill in the first place for, that would allow the VA to recommend cannabis and study it. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's the one that blocked it. Vets came together for that. I think we should do the same for Birdwell and many others. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of them that need to go. And, uh, yeah, if you can get if you can get Pete Sessions out of there, how, how many – he was an incumbent. How long had he been up there? I'm not sure. A long time. Like forever. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if we can take out Pete Sessions, surely we can take out some of these state representatives. I agree. I'm glad that you have found an answer in cannabis, but I hate that you have to – to do so illegally yeah it's a choice you have to make either you're going to be legally dead or illegally alive there you go there you go and and that's a that is a it's a sad testament to the state of texas that's why we fight yeah that our veterans have to have to choose between death or doing something that's illegal because i would think most most men and women that have been in the military want to follow the rules and and do things the way they're supposed to be doing them they do but a lot of them are just tired of the rules killing us. Yeah. So at the same time, you know, 
there's not many of us still saying, no, man, it's, it's illegal. So no, a lot of us are saying, are just looking for any way of out and help from what we have right now. And so, like I said, like the, there's still a lot of fight in our nation's veterans, and I'm happy that they're coming together and fighting this fight. I think it's awesome to see veterans kind of leading the charge on this. We need it, and now, like, 22 a day is a minimal number when it comes to veteran suicide, I, I, I believe, anyway. And yeah. so now we have to wait another two years of at least 22 a day of veterans killing themselves. You know, how long, how much of that 1.5 million needs to diminish before actual change happens for us? I had a, another guest on a few weeks ago, Shane Hazel. He's former military as well. And he said, really, that 22 a day is a lot higher. Yeah, I agree. Because guys, they want to make sure their family's still taken care of. So they find other ways to end their suffering so that their families still can collect benefits. So, well, man, I appreciate your time and, and keep fighting the good fight. And uh, hopefully we Thank can, you. Thank you. hopefully we can, we can get something taken care of in the next two years, but it'd be great if something could change on a federal level before now, because it sucks that we have to wait for two years for this. Yeah. Keep your fingers crossed because I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> like I really am. Keep up the good work over there, Josh. All right. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Show notes for today's episode can be found at www.cannabishealsme.com slash four five. I learned a lot of stuff in this conversation with Josh that I didn't know. I think perhaps the most shocking thing that I learned is how prescription medications are available so readily to our men and women that are serving overseas. What did you find the most interesting about this conversation? Send me an email podcast at cannabishealsme.com. Or send me a message on Facebook or post something on Facebook. I'd love to hear your feedback on this show as to what you found most shocking about this interview. Because Josh dropped some pretty big truth bombs on us during this conversation. So I'd love to know what you guys think about that. We'll be back here on Thursday with another episode. It's going to be a little different than what we normally do, but I hope you will enjoy it. If not, I guess you can just skip it and come back on Monday for another healing story. So stay tuned on Thursday for something a little out of the ordinary. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you later. Hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you're using. Do you have a suggestion for a guest on Cannabis Heals Me? Send an email to podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Cannabis Heals Me or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. 